You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. And today, Global Trade This Week, coming to you live. I am in a hotel room out in Fresno, California. Pete, my co-host out on the left coast. No, wait, that's where I am. Uh, out in New Hampshire and uh, ready to rock and roll with the Browns cap and some amazing artwork over his right shoulder. Pete, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I am. I'm struggling this morning, buddy. I'm. Uh, I got. I got up today to get the show rolling, and my my computer wasn't working. And it, it's one of these things where, like, if if I got in my Jeep and something wasn't working, I would have all the steps of like, okay this isn't working. Here's the first thing that I check and here's what I do. And this is what I would do to resolve it. Like I understand the systems inside of a internal combustion engine or like how the radio is not working. Like I would understand Doug, what I should be doing, mm. but when a computer's not working, it's like, I'm Og the caveman. I, I just, I'm not prepared for, for, so I'm, it's not like my laptop's not working, the laptop's working, but all my peripheries, peripherals, peripherals that I have, like my nice, big, beautiful screen that I bought myself and my nice camera, none of that is working today. So, so fire, no work. So I'm eating cold meat today and uh, <laughs> okay. I, was, I was late getting the show started. So I apologize, Doug. No, that that's all right, Pete. And we always joke about um, <clears throat> our audience and our pre- show banter back and forth the yeah. conversations that the three yeah. of us have are uh, comical to say the least I, we should do an outtake show sometime kb should just press the uh, the record button uh, while we're yeah. in those conversations and then we would be blacklisted pretty much from every uh show yeah. that we'd ever put on so <laughs> we have we have no customers do you do you like the b-reels you know in some of the movies where they show all the bloopers and everything yeah. i love them I love yeah. that in the credit scenes. I think those are yeah, great. Always at the end. So, yeah. all right, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's get this party started on a uh, early, early day, early week. Let her rip. Yeah, I have to refer to my notes in order to do this one right today, buddy. So, yeah. um, I follow a lot of differing topics, and because they all have to do with trade, a lot of times, Doug, they'll they'll intersect. So over the weekend, I um I follow a guy on Twitter who's fascinating. He's, he's the car sales guy, relatively new account. Um, over COVID, he got a lot of followers. So as you would imagine, car sales guy got a lot of followers. He is anonymous. He apparently is a um, high-performing car salesman somewhere in the United States. He won't even say what part of the country he is in. But he he does admit that he is um, he's educated in finance for for whatever that means. But he makes his he makes a very good living selling cars. So he puts up a lot of interesting facts that he gets from various parts of his industry that he does you know, most people wouldn't know about. So over the weekend he gave us this little dandy Doug, and I shared it on LinkedIn. But I'm going to give you some of the the juicy bits that I save mm -hmm. for the show. Um, right now there are less than 3000 new cars in America for sale under $20,000. And I struggled to think how old I was when I bought my first car 
that cost more than $20,000. And Doug, this is no word of a lie. I was at least 30. I might've been 35 when I bought my first car that cost more than $20,000. And then the second half of it was, um, and I, you know, I mentioned this on on LinkedIn back in 1986, when I first started driving, um, you could have bought five Yugos for $20,000. You probably need that many for parts for the other, you know, four other Yugos for the parts for the one you intended to drive. Um, Fun fact, the Yugo factory was destroyed by NATO by accident on a bombing run. So even if you wanted a Yugo today, you couldn't get one. Mm. But then um, 15% of drivers today who bought a car in the last quarter of 2022, so we just got those numbers, are paying at least $1,000, at least $1,000 a month for their new car. And about 30% of American drivers who are driving a new car are paying between $800 and $999 a month for their new car. And he, um, he credits the, um, the average rate Q4, October, December, 2022, which were the the newest numbers that we had to go for. So for near prime, uh, which are a a significant number of people. So credit scores between 601 and 666, a new car interest rate now is at 8.12%. And a used car interest rate is at 12.08. Prime, which is at 661 to 780 for a credit score. New car at 5.8. Used cars at 7.83. Super Prime, which very few people walk into a car dealership with. 781 to a perfect credit score of 850. 4.7 for a new car, 5.9. Now, if you've got crappy crap crap, credit rating, um, deep subprime, 13.4 for a new mm. car, 20.6 for a used car. Uh, and right now to find a deep subprime mortgage, you're more likely to find a Yugo than to find a, not mortgage, a car, a car loan at those rates. This has a lot to do with two things we talk about on the show often. One is uh, inflation, just Cars are very expensive, buddy, because all the things that go into those cars have gotten so expensive. And second is the supply chain of building those cars and car companies knowingly limiting the number of cars that they're putting out there in order to decrease inventory because keeping inventory is expensive, which when we talk to people who are not in our industry, they they have a hard time grasping that. You're basically putting money on a shelf that you've already spent. And so putting money on that shelf that you've already spent waiting for someone to buy it is expensive for producers of inventory. So you don't want to extend things that you may have created on a credit term if you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a very, very difficult thing for folks to understand. With regards to inflation, another little piece of fun data I wanted to share with people is just how far inflation has gone. Now, these numbers are as of Friday. The highest inflation rate in the world still remains at Venezuela at 156%, where it's common to see banknotes in the street as litter. So if you want to have some fun, Keenan, um, 
you know, you can go on the Googles or Twitter right now, and it's very easy to find um, Argentinian and Venezuelan currency as litter in the street, like newspaper. Um, Turkey at 55%, and now Poland at 18%. Now, the United States, of course, everyone knows is at around 6%, 6, 6 to 6.1%. That's the government's, the government's numbers to us, and we all know yeah. how I feel, Doug about the government's numbers. Uh, but we we discount a lot of other countries between 6% and Venezuela's 156%. The UK is at 10.4%. And that's that's pretty terrifying, particularly when you see where the where the pound is at. Germany at 8.7, Mexico at 7.6, and buddy, buddy, Australia at 7.4. But at the lower end of the scale, you have our, our very good friends in Canada at 5.2%. Shout out to my my headquarters in yes, Montreal, Quebec. Uh, and of course, um, the last two which I found were fascinating was Saudi Arabia at three. It's amazing when you have all that gold and oil um, and cash. And lastly, China at 1%. Hmm. Why? That's because they're communists and they believe in price controls. So when you control, centrally control the costs of practically everything, it's easy to not have inflation. So when your child comes home from college at spring break and says, well, inflation in China is at 1%, you can say to them, well, everything in China, pretty much the price of it is controlled by the state. So of course it is. Now go upstairs and clean out the cat box. Uh it's it's just it's fascinating, Doug. I bet if we went and looked across other products that were so dependent on the supply chain, we would find similar constraints on availability. Everything from laptops, honestly, um, uh, things like uh, high end technology, high end consumer electronics, um, you know, c certain types of uh, medical devices, and anything honestly that you don't want to have that expensive inventory on the shelf if you don't need it. Certainly expensive pharmaceutical stock. So this has a lot to do with inflation. It has a lot to do with the cost of inventory sitting on a shelf. It's very much a supply chain issue, but damn it, Doug, what is it? Well, a couple of things on that comment. One, if any college student comes back and understands the concept of inflation in China, then I'm going to hand over my taxes and let them take care of that for me. That's uh, at least they're going to comment on it, but I don't know if they're going to understand it. How about yeah, that? That's, maybe, maybe that's yeah. true. And the other flip uh, side of that with some personal experience um, is insurance rates on cars, because the Oof. value of a car is so gosh darn expensive, have skyrocketed and my personal experience with that is my daughter i have a sidebar story on that in a second uh just bought her first car on her own i'm hey. very proud of her uh, for yeah. a variety of reasons and i'll tell you a quick story but so um i went to our insurance guy and threw the car on there and oh my god so four cars we have four cars in our family now um four drivers we're going to change that pretty dramatically but i was sitting there just crush okay raise the um you know raise this Deductible. lower this i was adjusting yeah. my my car insurance like crazy because it's blown up and uh, my insurance agent said it's simply the fact that you have eighty thousand dollar nine hundred thousand dollar cars that are zipping around and if they crash and break it's not cheap to fix them so the insurance piece of it i think is another 
another piece. So um, those are the two things. So here's a quick story. The beauty of this show, Pete, is we can go in any direction we want. So my daughter bought her first car, bought it from a dealership in Kansas City. She went by herself. And I'm sure that the uh, the folks at the car dealership were salivating when a 20-year-old girl comes in there to try to uh, buy her first car. Long story short, they tried to sell her the undercoating, blah, blah, blah. And and her number, she said, Dad, my number is $14,999, 15 grand. Back and forth, brought it back down. She stood up and said, I cannot afford to pay more than 15 grand all in and walked out. She got in uh, the car she was borrowing, turned on the key, started pulling away, and they ran out to try to grab her and said, I think we can make it work. Please come back in. And she got her car for $14,999. And she said, Dad, I've never felt better about about being an adult as I did right now. So, um, yeah, anyway, it was crazy. I'm so proud of her for doing that. But anyway, the the the, the point of that story on the used cars is that the insurance rates are going up as well because the things are so gosh darn expensive. That's awesome. Well, first crazy. of all, good for your daughter. Yeah. You raised a winner, Doug. Uh, <laughs> there, there are very few feelings. That, for, and, and second of all, you know that dealership still got something over on her because, they're, oh, sure. you know, but hey, any negotiation you walk away feeling like you won is a win. Because I, yeah. I don't, I don't, you want both parties to feel like they came away feeling good. That, that's, that's how it's supposed to feel. And yeah. if, if the, you know, one side of the consumer feels like they got a good deal and, and the person on the other side feels a good deal, then great. Uh, yeah. But man, and the, the inflation affects everything. And when it affects something that's insured, air cargo, ocean cargo, over the road, intermodal, it's going to affect insurance rates. And that's going to end up messing with our industry. What's terrifying, Doug, is the number of our our colleagues, customers, consumers who still look at insurance coverage and go, nah, nah, yeah. I'm not going to insure it. Nah, I'll take my chances. If it breaks, you guys are just going to fix it anyway. No, we're not. We're not. <laughs> well, then I'll sue you. Good luck, because the law is absolutely on our side on this one. Get insurance. It is so affordable. It's not even affordable. It's it's below. What's I don't even know what a word below affordable is. It's it's like ridiculously affordable, um, and you you have a responsibility to your company to get it. So just just God insure your cargo. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Doug, what do you got for us? What's your first topic, buddy? All right. <clears throat> well, this. Oh, I know should... what your first topic is. Oh, D- Doug, when you sent this to me, I told you I was speechless. I didn't even yeah. know what to write back. So I'm glad I'm sitting down and I'm comfortable. So hold on. I want to take a drink before you do this. Go ahead. Yeah. So this one started I'm, I'm ready. As, started as a topic, and then I kind of expanded it and, and, and took it out. So <laughs> please lean in more if you don't mind. Um, drones, one of my oh. favorite drones. Yes. Yeah. So but I'm going to change my tone for uh, a couple of reasons. Number one. Is there was there was an article about how drones are becoming more popular in warehouses to perform mundane work, primarily counting inventories. That's my world. That's my jam. So I totally get that. And it's becoming the price is still pretty pretty uh, pretty high, but it's coming down like anything else, just like flat screen TVs back in the day. But the efficiencies that you can gain for the mundane work that you have to do to run a successful warehouse operation. Say it. The 
<laughs> these drones. The application of a drone in a warehouse has Say value. It. How about oh, that? Oh, there it is. There it is. There it, mark yes. it down, people. March 27th, 2020. It only took them like four years. Doug yeah. actually said it. Oh, wow. So let me clar- okay. let me clarify that. Drones making deliveries are still stupid. Drones <sighs> that have decent applications um, do have value. And I think one of them is going to continue to be in the warehouse in a closed environment that uh, can replace, improve accuracy, efficiency, and eliminate humans, which ultimately get tired, uh, delayed, make errors, the whole nine yards. So I think we're going to see automation in the drones in warehouses increase. But the reason, so here's the expanded version, Pete, which is going to go away from drones. So the company that drew attention to this article was a company that invested into this drone company, which is Maersk. And that got me thinking about a term that you and I use time and again, which is owning the rails. And primarily we've spoken about North American companies. And I say North American because we're getting into um, the, the rail merger that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, Maersk, they own the boats. They've invested in aircraft. They've invested in 3PL e-com services. Now they're investing in technology and peripherals that are supporting some of the services that, that they provide. And the last thing I can remember on that, Pete, is um, Amazon, Jesus, probably a decade ago now, bought Kiva, which was mm-hmm. a little robotic uh, yep. Uh, for their order picking services, and and that likened uh, to what's going on at Maersk. And so, you know this because you're in the industry, and I think we're going to talk about it here in a bit. But do not sleep on Maersk. They they separated, they broke, uh, you know, their alliances with, with MSC. We've spoken about that, and I think that they have a pretty targeted and focused strategy. And you keep look look at what Maersk is doing, and will continue to do, and I think that will uh, help you understand the definition of what a global logistics provider is all about. So that, that's the bigger picture here is that Maersk is uh, starting to own the international rails with air, ocean. I'm not sure they're going to get into rail, but uh, I was blown away when I, I was traveling to New Jersey last week for a quick day. And I was blown away at the number of e-commerce locations they have uh, across the country and the companies that they've purchased that uh, are focused on that. So, Drones have application within a building. Uh, I will um, I will admit that drones still have no application and are stupid making deliveries uh, to, to commerce. But Maersk, don't sleep on Maersk. You know, it's kind of like the uh, the NC2A tournament when you say don't sleep on this team who's a, a seven or eight seed. Um, but anyway, that that the the story went from drones to uh, owning the rails. So that's my take. First of all. Um... Basketball is still a sport for men who can't skate. So I just want to make sure that I point that out. I don't right. care about the NCAA tournament. I only care if your team is in it, Doug, because it gives me something to root for. That's about it. And it's not. Second of all, so. I, I know, I know. I paid attention and and they didn't make it. Second of all, Doug, you said it. You said the words. You made it matter to me. This is, yeah. this is such a beautiful day for me. Um, I might need to go lay down after the show. It was just so emotionally charged to see you make yourself vulnerable to myself and the audience and admit you were wrong. Um, Hold on. No, 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 Doug, Doug, you can't walk it back. 
You can't walk it back. It's like we went on a date. You finally told me you loved me. Okay. It's out there now. We, we, you no. have to hold my hand when we go to the mall. It's, it's real. Okay. It's real. You have to give me a promise ring. This is a real relationship now. Okay. Yeah. You think drones work. Just say it. No. It's okay. No. You, you didn't hear me when I clearly used the word stupid when I defined drone delivery services, right? Drones in a warehouse. I, I, I get it. I think there's value there, but I'm not locking anything back because I didn't go all the way in. I told you sorry, that I buddy. strongly like you. I didn't tell you that I love you. No, I'm sorry. I heard what I heard. I heard <laughs> what I heard. Uh, next, the idea of um, local applications proving their worth and then using that to walk it back is very important. Um, that's how most technology ends up finding a foothold. So we'll see what goes on from there. Yeah. It takes a lot of money to do that. Maersk has a lot of money, yeah. uh, which goes yeah. to your last you know, your last point, uh, as we've come back from this just financial free for all that was the COVID pandemic where consumers and load, you know, logistics companies were like, Hey, let's all throw money around. Like it's 1997 again. Like, you know, it was just awesome for everyone. Um, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna start to be more pointed and more strategic with, with spend. Every company is. It has been incredible to watch Maersk in particular really hone in and focus on short-term and long-term goals and, and see how they're both aligning, which, which has mm -hmm. been interesting to watch. I still contend, Doug, that the, the most fantastical thing to watch is going to be the rising and the leveling off of e-commerce juggernauts. All Amazon is, all it is is a supply chain company. All it is, in, in essence, is a final mile 3PL mm -hmm. that happens to have a platform. And one of these companies is going to figure out how to market a platform. It's going to be FedEx and or UPS. It's going to be Maersk. Maersk is going to buy a failing e-commerce platform, and there's going to be one. One of these e-commerce platforms that's done quite well for itself is going to find itself in a financial position where either it can't continue to grow or it fails financially. And someone's going to buy it for pennies on the dollar. And now they're going to find themselves with a fully formed, mature e-commerce platform. But they've got the infrastructure. And they're going to be able to compete with an Amazon. Yeah. Now we're talking. Now we're talking because they can do all kinds of things to manipulate transportation and they can do it Bingo. better. And they are going yeah. to get in the cage and they are going to fuck shit up, pal. There's no other way to put it. There's no other way to put it. And when that yeah. happens, they can pick a region of the world that Amazon's not good at and out Amazon, Amazon. And it's going to be a bloodbath because now they're going to have real competition. So Amazon's going to have to get better at things that they're not going to be able to get better at. And there are things, marketing, dealing with vendors, handling trade finance. So they're all going to, you know, from the outside looking in for me, because I'm, I'm a diehard spectator of the sport of e-commerce. I'm just going to sit back, you know, with my, with my low calorie Weight Watchers popcorn. And I'm just going to watch all this, and take notes and just, oh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, Doug, it's going to be a hell of a time to be alive, pal. Yeah.
Well, it's always a help. You know, I'm going to start off with fantastical because I heard you use that word. I don't I don't know if that's a real world or not. But it is. Fan- yeah. Fantastical can pretty much describe halftime, which is uh, the part of the show that we're about to enter into. It but, is yeah, um, paid for by our fantasticals. Brought um, to us by uh, yeah. our friends at Cap Logistics. Yep, yep. Or fantastical. I'm, I'm my uh, internet out here in Fresno, yeah, is a little little spotty. So halftime, Cap Logistics, Transportation Logistics, CapLogistics.com. Um, that's it. That's all I got on that one. So let's run into halftime. You want to go first or you want me to run, go first on this one? Oh, yeah. Well, now this is where Keenan wishes that he was on because I'm going to talk about Bitcoin. So yeah. you hate drones. I hate Bitcoin. And I still hate it. And I get to still hate it. Now, though, I get to talk about it because I learned something. I've been I've been reading a lot about how Bitcoin has becoming both a hedge and a um a, a harbor of refuge for people who are concerned about both inflation, but they're really concerned about banking meltdowns. So as, um, well, you know, we, we talked last week about the, the banking fears around the world and fear of a, a contagion. Um, don't worry about it, guys. We're just going to take a few weeks off to stop the spread. That was a joke. Uh, the, uh, the world is, is looking at Bitcoin as a possible place of refuge. I started looking at who holds on to Bitcoin. So where, because I don't trust it. I still mm-hmm. think, I still think that it's a major league government led operation and you're never going to change my mind on it. Somebody had to have the money and the institutional awareness and the computing power to get this started when they did. It's way too big of an idea for it to have been done by individuals. So um, here's a fun fact. Who are the largest holders of Bitcoin? Do you know who number seven is, Doug? Uh, are we doing a countdown or are you just throwing out number seven? Oh, I could give you the who the largest are. So, so here, um, so my take, my so here here's my guess. Some somewhere in the top five, the Van Winklevoss brothers. Winklevoss is number six. Okay. Yep. That's, uh, um, that's number five is MicroStrategy. Number four is Binance. Number three is Grayscale. Number two is the founder of this concept, founder, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Mm-hmm. The number one holder of circulating Bitcoin is Coinbase, seventh largest holder. Um, the seventh largest holder is the U.S. government. Wow. The seventh largest holder of the U.S. government has acquired these through seizure and criminal cases including the Silk Road uh, marketplace, the 2016 hack of cryptocurrency by Bitfinex, and a case involving James Zhang. Um, and they're about to have enough that they may actually overcome the Winklevoss twins because of a number of illegal cases that they're currently trying um, and that they have pursued that will that will probably catapult them past the Winklevoss twins. Um, so because they have not been combined into the federal government's wallet. Now, I don't know if it matters because I think without all the pertinent information, I don't know if there's anything they can really do with all of it. Um, but they're, you know, they have billions and billions of dollars in, in Bitcoin. Uh, the Chinese government apparently keeps theirs diasporatically they, they they don't they don't consolidate all of theirs into one coin i would love to know 
how much the Chinese government has. I would love to know. But uh, again, I think this is a massive, and, and I'm putting on my tinfoil hat, baby, this is a massive, massive psyop. I think it's a huge, enormous conspiracy that was done by some government or governments in order to either launder money or to um, turn some digital currency into a conversion for a hard currency. It'd be great if it was like North Korea or China. I mean, what better way to turn a completely worthless idea into hard currency that can be used to help um, pump up your your military? I just oh. i I don't buy it. now on the backside of that. It has become very popular again by people who are worried about a full blown global financial crisis and don't trust their money in a bank and are worried about a bank run because this is a bank that you own the bank. I mean, you literally own the safety and security it's it's in your wallet it's in your digital wallet so there are a lot of people who wouldn't have touched bitcoin with a 500 foot digital pole who now have money in it that never did or are reinvesting in it that had before so uh it's been fascinating to watch still think it's total humbug i was about to say i'm glad you ended with that to keep your uh, mm -hmm. your streak alive but it sure sounded like you were promoting no. bitcoin in those last 45 seconds trash <laughs> well pete my halftime is a little bit more uplifting because uh what's happening on thursday uh america's pastime is back the uh major league baseball season kicks off on i guess that's march 30th i was trying to figure out what was the very very first game um that's queued up i, I don't know what what it is we'll put it uh, keenan will find that out but the one thing this year, Pete, is they're trying to speed up the game. They're trying to do uh, some different things so the younger generation just doesn't walk away. And so uh, I'm pulling this up so I don't uh, say these incorrectly. But Thursday's opening day, as I said. So trying to pick up the speed of the game so people aren't just walking away. Because when I go to Coors Field, I roll in about the second inning, go drink some beers, and then I'm out of there at Five and a half, six. Oh, um, so anyway, there's a pitching clock, yep. right? So there's no loafing around or, 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 or screwing around on the mound. So it's 15 seconds to get your act together on the mound if there's nobody on base. And I think there's 20 seconds. It's eight seconds. No, it's 15 seconds. Uh, nobody on base, 20 seconds if they're on base. And then the batter... Uh, they can't step out of the batter's box once they in. They can, but they got eight seconds to get their act together in there too. So it'll be interesting to see who is, um, you know, who's got the stopwatch on this thing. The defensive shifts a little bit. I'm not a baseball guy big time, but I know that there's the shifts when you have left-handed or right-handed batters. They're eliminating that, so you can't uh, have a good de defensive play uh, based on the tendencies of the batter. This one is interesting, Pete. Bigger bases. Used to be 15 inches square. Now it's 18 inches square. And the key thing there is square. So if you look at the surface area that that thing's going to take up, it's pretty significant. And the whole idea is more stolen bases, more stolen bases, move people around, uh, around the horn, which means uh, they're going to be in positions uh, of scoring. And then this one I didn't understand. Limiting mound disengagements. So I don't yeah. know if that's just people pissed about something or, or whatever that is, nope. but... They're going to limit it, and limit it's pretty vague. So I don't know if that means it goes from five minutes to two minutes. 
or whatever, but um, it's going to increase anger. It's going to increase debate. And all around, that's good for baseball. So I think there's going to be a lot of stories about Major League Baseball this year. There's going to be a lot of uh, feedback, and uh, and it should be interesting. I'm not a big baseball guy, but I'm going to be going to more games this year, which is exactly what they want to happen. So I don't know if you've heard about all these changes, Peter, what your take is on them. Uh, so, Doug, I'm, I'm a baseball-obsessed American. I have been my whole life. My father is from Boston. I spent the formative years of my life in Texas, but as a Red Sox fan, and I was miserable in 2004. Uh, I am a season ticket holder. You know, uh, I sell most of my tickets. I'd never go to games. Um, but with all that being said, uh, I'll start from the very beginning. The idea of having a clock, some people are excited about it, and I am to a degree, but I'm also concerned. So there was a, a pretty ugly injury that happened in spring training to Justin Turner of the Boston Red Sox. If you if you want to like start your day with a pretty gross image, they show his face immediately after he got it stitched up. Because of the speed of what's going on, some pitchers are a little rushed. And the Major League Baseball Players Association was worried about this. And sure enough, someone got hit in the face. So he got his upper lip basically ripped off. But um, he'll be back and ready to play. Uh, these guys are pretty tough, but yeah, there's a lot of, you know, farting around that goes on and enough. So ho hopefully it, you know, this player safety gets caught up in that, but I agree with you, Doug, these guys spitting and picking their nose and other parts of their bodies. We can get rid of that. And let's get back to two and a half hour games. Yeah. The, the stealing thing I'm so excited for. I'm, I loved Loved it when Ricky was going 90 feet. Like, I love it when guys attempt to steal bases. I was a catcher. I love it when a catcher tags somebody out. So the idea that there's going to be more attempts because it, that three inches matters so much because guys are going to try and those, those catchers are going to have less time to decide to make the throw. It's going to make a big difference and it is going to get more people out. That's going to be great. Um, the shift, I hate the shift. But then I love the shift, um, but I'm glad it's gone. The problem is, is again, freaking Red Sox. They played around with the rules and they found a way to put a shift in over spring break. It's not the same kind and it showed to be somewhat effective. So we'll see what happens there. But mound engagement, that's when a pitcher and a catcher and like the rest of the team hmm. walks up to the mound to talk to the pitchers like, hey, man, you know, there's a great there's a great scene in Bull Durham when they're like, uh, they're, they're, they show what they're talking about. Like, what's a great gift to give somebody for a wedding yeah. if you don't know the groom? Like, oh, I always find candlesticks, you know. Like, they're just basically looking for time to get yeah. somebody warmed up or whatever. So the idea here is it just slows down the game enough, right? What can we do to get these this moving? Because games were turning into these four-hour affairs. And as much as I love going to baseball games, drinking beer, eating peanuts, and watching stuff, we have to find a way to make it more TV friendly, make it a place that people do want to go. And yeah, kids, kids want to watch UFC fights. They want to watch football. They love watching basketball again. And why? Because basketball has turned into a time limited affair, a lot more action, a lot more scoring, uh, three points constantly, you know, they, they want, they want to see offense. So let's give it to them. And I'm yeah. looking for looking forward to the season of my absolute trash baseball team sucking the entire season, as it should be. They're the Red Sox. <laughs> right. Well, that was halftime. Brought to you by Cap Logistics. Yeah, we're on the we're on the back half. 
we're, yeah, buddy. We're on the. I can't think of a baseball analogy. We're on the other side of. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're the seventh the, inning. The stretch, seventh so. inning. Yeah, we're in the seventh yeah. inning, buddy. Yeah. Um, so. I'm pretty fired up to talk about this one. Um, so, do you remember the game you play with? Like, I don't know, with your buddies, or you have your hands like this, and they have their hands like that, and like you try to smack them on top of their hands, and if they flinched, you got to punch them in the shoulder or whatever. Or were you mm-hmm. not a bunch of educate uneducated idiots like my friends and I? No, but Wichita, Kansas, you kidding me? We love the punch. Oh people. yeah, exactly. So I mean, my friends and I were morons. So we would sit there, and it was something to do on the way to baseball games or whatever. You, you'd like sit there with your hands like this, and you try to smack each other. Oh, you flinch and you punch each other. You know, it's like, oh, well, forgive me for not wanting to feel pain, but you couldn't wait to like punch your buddy, and then yeah. it was their turn. You know. Um, that's what negotiating freight rates are like now. It's like, okay, wow, this is a great rate. Ningbo to West Coast US, $890. Holy crap, I get 10 free days. This is amazing, right? Lock us in. And then a week later, it's like 820. Jeez, oh, like you get so mad because you flinched, you know? Oh, and then, or, or someone says to you, Looks like the president's going to get involved in West Coast negotiations. We might might want to wait on those East Coast rates. I don't know. I think I think they're going to start going down. The next week, they start going up again because someone heard something and they get all angry. It's like it's like that Lucy pulling the football on you uh, with Charlie Brown trying to kick it. It really has. And we said it. I think it was last week, right? Chaos in the marketplaces, it's actually kind of good for our marketplace because that that assumption that there's stability is actually what forwarders want. It's what NVOs want. It is not what carriers want. And it's actually not good for people who are buying it, believe it or not, because you want to take advantage of the marketplace. So going back to having 60% contract, 40% spot, it gives you a chance to play those opportunities in the marketplace. So we should all at this point as consumers of freight get back to having a portion of what you're going to consume being bought on the spot. And that's really where that was all going to get get people ready to think they're going to flinch again, pal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we, uh, I don't remember how many shows ago, but it was almost like a day trader down there in the pit, yeah. Yeah. you know, when, uh, yeah. when when they're out there doing it. But yeah, you know, the days of, hey, I'm a great one-time negotiator because for this calendar year, I was successful in negotiating this, right? Well, this doesn't exist anymore because it is so fluid. And just like you said, 60-40 split, 50-50, whatever it might be, is it is a ongoing day-to-day transactional based uh, business and there is benefit if you know how to work it and you really understand the markets and the ebbs and flows of what's going on on a port by port basis um, <clears throat> you can be successful and you can be a hero within your organization but if you think you're going to go out there and sign one contract for one year and uh, go pat yourself on the back and go show your cfo how much money you've saved them then you, you are going to get burned and uh, you don't understand the ocean industry in 2023. So it's a, a great analogy with the flinching, and I love it. And um, yeah, it's a different world out there. And I was trying to think, Pete, and I can't, I love um, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. What was the guy's name? Belfort. Gordon. Yeah. What, Gordon? Oh. 
Oh, no, see, it was, you um, and I pride ourselves on knowing that stuff. Anyway, um, Belfort, we'll think of it in a minute. But the way he manipulated things and and, uh, and and made it beneficial for him, that's the kind of guy you need on your team to go out and negotiate these things nowadays. Jordan. Jordan Belfort. Yep. Jordan Belfort, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Pete, my last topic kind of goes on um, on the ocean freight as well. Um, it's um, the ocean. It's related to the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022, which if uh, I won't go into the nuances of it, but it was a knee jerk reaction um, when it was a carrier market, when it was a seller's market. Everybody was up in arms about this charge and that charge and how can they do it and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so the government said, well, we'll try to help out and try to regulate an industry that has nothing to do with um, ownership or control in the United States. So um, there's a, a rule that's going into effect in April, and it's basically related to having carriers be financially uh, responsible or penalized um, for unethical, illegal charges that may appear on your, um, on your invoice. So the old rule is that you could be liable uh, with a civil penalty, right? Could be, maybe, liable. Like, what do all, what does all that mean, right? It's pretty ambiguous. The new rule, in addition to all that, basically says, uh, in lieu, in addition to or in lieu of a penalty, uh, the ocean freight's um, liable for a refund. So that's all good and and well, but you know what? Let's ask for permission, and uh, mm. or ask for forgiveness, not not permission. So. You know what, Pete? I just jacked an extra two hundred dollars on your ocean freight, and if you recognize it or ask for a refund, all right, I'll refund you. So, ten, fifteen percent of those fees are going to be refundable. But is that really a deterrent for bad behavior? I, I don't know. And, and I guess if you ask the ocean carriers, are they exhibiting or engaging in bad behavior? Yeah, they may or may not even agree with that in the first place. So. Um, the bottom line is the steamship lines still control the narrative, even though it's a spot market that you just said. It, it ebbs and flows and it goes up and down, port to port, season to season. So I don't know if a reform act is going to really make any impact or changes. And Pete, I'm going to charge you the 200 bucks again. And next week, I'm going to charge you an extra 75 and the next week, whatever it may be. And maybe you'll catch it. And I'm not saying steamship lines are um, intentionally doing this or bad actors to any stretch, but it just doesn't have a lot of teeth. Um, it's hard to, to validate. It's an American entity that is doing the validation. And I just don't think it's a big enough deterrent to have any general impact other than some senators and politicians can raise their hand and say, look at all these cool things we're doing to help um, uh, the U.S. importer market. So I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that there's some teeth, quote unquote, they're going to be uh, implemented in April. I don't know how much it's really going to affect what we're talking about. I don't think a whole lot. And it's definitely not a deterrent for managing um, the flow of, of commerce and, and costing as it comes into to America. So anyway, it's nice to know nothing's really going to happen with it, in my opinion. And, uh, and on we go. Doug, were you ever a Seinfeld guy? Did you watch Seinfeld? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I used to have to record it because Thursday nights I was almost always either doing spots or on the road or, you know, trying to find some place to get a spot for an open mic. But I would always come home and I could never sleep because I was always jacked up, you know, It'd be like one, two in the morning. And I would always pray that it was an episode that had Jackie in it 
Do you remember <laughs> Kramer's attorney, Jackie? Yeah. And he would look, he, 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 Kramer would tell him what egregious assault had happened to him. And there's always something really like silly. And Jackie would look at him and say, I am shocked and chagrined. Like, I cannot, I cannot believe Kramer. This is, I am shocked and chagrined. This has happened to you. And I remember in the, in the final episode of Seinfeld, Jackie even said, I am shocked and chagrined. Doug, as I sit here clutching my pearls, I'm shocked and chagrined. I, I can't believe I simply, I can't even conceive. It's unconscionable that the ocean carriers wouldn't be fined for this, that they would simply have to give the money back. I mean, what were the odds? The odds were 100.00%. That's what the odds were, Doug. I mean, what were we expecting? These are some of the most powerful companies on planet earth. You and I know that all the people mm -hmm. that we work with in this industry know, I mean, Ocean companies have got some stroke, man. Like those guys can make it happen. If you need it, it's going on one of their boats, baby. And say what you will. And you can say a lot during the pandemic. They were a necessary part of day-to-day -day operations on planet earth. So we got to give them some credit. Um, they do have some political capital to wield at the moment. I got a feeling they might've wielded it on this one. It's like, what do you want from us? Okay. Mm -hmm. We kept the earth spinning for you in the worst crisis of pretty much anyone's lifetime since World War II. Knock it off. Uh, say what you will about it. You know, like Stalin said, the strong do what they will and the weak accept what they must. I'm just not shocked. I'd like to sit here and feign disgust, but, you know, what I think is really scary is you're going to have a lot of freight forwarders who are suddenly breathing a sigh of relief because they were all terrified they were going to get caught up in this mess and end up getting mm -hmm. sued. Mm -hmm. So um, that's probably where all this is. It's maybe, there's a little silver lining in it. But what stinks is what you just said. For months and months, people were getting whacked with millions of dollars, some companies, of D&D. &D, and they felt that there was some sort of justice that might be played out here. Ain't no justice, baby. You know, <laughs> yeah. This is this is forwarding, dude. <laughs> It's, it's no justice. It's yeah. just it's just profits and losses. And, you know, you'll get yours next time. So yeah. speaking it. of next time, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we want to thank our our incredible, um, you know, incredible sponsor, Cap Logistics, for all that they do for us. We want to thank them for uh, loaning us Keenan, who I think is on, is it work release or parole? I can never keep those two straight. Mm -hmm. uh, but he does an incredible job for us on the buttons and dials back there in, uh, in his Fortress of Solitude in Denver, Colorado. I want to thank my co-host, Doug Draper, for always, you know, knowing when he's wrong and admitting it here on the podcast. It takes a very strong, mature man to admit when he's wrong. And Doug did that today by admitting that drones do serve an important business purpose in this the logistics industry. Doug, I uh, don't know. I want to cry. I'm so proud right now. So you uh, you and, bring that up again on the close. So I cannot mm -hmm. retort that, right? Yeah. I'll just let the show come to a, yeah. a, a peaceful yeah. end. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, we, we uh, want to thank all of you, our listeners and our viewers. Everyone listens to this on a podcast. Those of you who watch it on any number of the video releases that it comes on. And for those who watch the video, we are available now on all podcast 
outlets. So please do give us a listen there when you're going to and fro. And we can't wait to see you all again for another episode of Global Trade this week. Thanks, Doug. See you next week. Yep. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, everybody.